Uh, I didn't introduce myself when I came up to lead us in uh, the kids' prayer there, or the, the community prayer. Uh, my name is Jeff, and uh, I have the privilege of sharing a little bit today. Um, I'm going to be brief because I actually principally want us to practice together the topic that I'm going to be talking about. Um, so for the last little bit, we've been talking at Emmanuel um, for probably about four or five weeks around keeping the unity. Um, I actually haven't been as present on Sunday mornings uh, as I would have liked to, but I have caught up online. Um, but uh, and that has largely been with respect to keeping the unity with one another, both inside the church and outside the church and the world around us. And that makes sense, right? That's a lot of the topic of Paul's teaching and certainly Jesus' teaching. Uh, but today, what I want to talk about, what I want to focus on, is our unity with God, with our unity with God, our Creator. And I'm not necessarily talking about our salvation. Uh, that's a whole other kettle of, of, uh, of worms. That's a whole other topic for another Sunday. I'm talking about our innermost self and how we, uh, how we connect with God, the Father, God who made us. Because it's from there that we connect with ourselves. It's from there that we connect with the world around us. And it's there, from there, of course, that we connect with one another. I mean, Jesus first called his disciples so that they would what? That they would follow him, that they would be with him. This is the language of loving union, communion, of presence. It's not principally of intellect. Unity uh, with God um, is really, I think, the job of spiritual formation, and this is the job of contemplation, which is principally what I'm going to be talking about today. The late Leanne Pine, who was a great teacher on contemplation, said, either we contemplate or we exploit. Contemplation acts, asks, what can this person, or for this matter, this thing, do for me? Sorry, exploitation asks. I was like, hold on, that sounds weird. <laughs> contemplation asks, who am I, or what am I beholding, without regard for their usefulness to me? So my own story into this contemplative mind uh, and this, this kind of world uh, began about six years ago uh, in around July, August. I was in a fairly stressful situation and my own kind of, uh, it was quite a stressful situation actually, and my own uh, ruminating mind, my own kind of daily presence was really caught up in, 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 uh, in that situation at work. In fact, from basically the moment I woke up, if, if I even slept, from the moment I woke up to the time I fell asleep, and that was an asterisk on that. We also had young kids, have young kids. To the time I fell asleep, my, my intellect, my ruminating mind was just focused on that situation. There was pretty much nothing else I could think about. It was compressing everything in me, except there was these few moments where I would be driving to work, uh, and I would hear, and I, I'm not going to be able to get the verse right, because I, I, like in, in remembering the verse, or, or even the words specifically right, but I would hear uh, a voice or, or get the sense of, um, He's leading me through green pastures. And I would see an image of a sheep walking through tall grass, and I would be kind of following this sheep. And essentially, the Lord was calling to mind Psalm 23. And it was just a few minutes, or just a few moments, of, of somewhat clarity, of somewhat calmness. And I'm not even going to describe it in hindsight like it was some Zen moment, like I was just at peace with the world. And I'm not even going to say that it was this big emotional kind of feeling. In fact, in some ways, it was the absence of, of this big feeling. It was just stasis. It was just kind of just the absence of a big emotional feeling. It was just presence. 
Uh, it wasn't coming from setting or this powerful feeling, although powerful feelings can be a part of contemplation. It wasn't environment, although environment can be that. Uh, it was speaking to my hidden away self. It was speaking to that part that we live with him. It was speaking to that I live no longer, not I. Uh, that was the linkage to these other moments that I had had, of course, with the Spirit. You know, I've had these other encounters where, you know, I felt God, and maybe this was during worship, it's during prayer, and it felt experiences. This was certainly a lot more calm sense, uh, just a sense of being connected with that most hidden away presence with God. Much later, I discovered that there was these spiritual practices that allowed me to kind of connect with that innermost self, shaped and connected with Christ, even between those highs, those kind of connecting with the spirit and feeling the spirit moments. So the contemplative mind is not reserved for uh, those in the monasteries. It's not reserved for those who are certainly spiritually mature or anything. It's, in fact, I'd say it's the building block of spiritual formation. It's kind of the foundational starting point by which we begin to view the world around us. You carry with you an innermost self, a part of you that is hidden away with Christ, a part of you that has been shaped and formed from the beginning, a part of you that is filled with joys and sorrows and complex um, complex needs and complex longings, and God knows that innermost self. In some ways, and therefore, your job is just to sit and be present with God, fully present, lying in some ways exposed, allowing prayer to transform you more than you trying to transform God. And the title of this sermon is, You Came Forth from God, Your Deepest DNA is divine, and in contemplation, we're simply allowing our creator to connect to that divine DNA, creating a space for that open posture of presence and attentiveness and in stillness. I mean, that connection point, creating that space for connection, that really is the definition of the word religion, religioso, which functionally means to be bound up in. And we trust that the long arc of this process is that we are continually renewed in love. The Spirit blows where the Spirit pleases, and I want to open up my hiddenmost self to receive as much of it as possible, to be connected and to soak up as much of it in joy and in love. My prayers may involve words, but they likely may not. It just may be presence. And from that posture, I want to then move to look forward, to view the world and have a long, loving look at things without consideration for what they can do for me. That long, loving look at things is, in fact, one of the definitions of the word contemplation. It is a different practice. It is a different way. It is a different shift from a lot of our, con our contemporary evangelical traditions. So to do this, there are a few kind of frameworks. There's a few basic practices that, that I just tried to um, take out of sort of the vagueness of, uh, and suck some of the vagueness out of the word contemplation and the contemplative mindset and put down on words. And even then, I'm hesitant to, uh, I, I guess, write these things down because I am, I am by no means, um, I am just a practicer. I am just a, a hack um, at this. But, but I, I thought I'd start by just putting a few ideas down to the board. So it starts by calming our minds, our hurried thoughts, our worries, and essentially laying bare our hearts before Jesus just dwelling before Christ, exposed, silence, inviting God in, welcoming God. Thomas Keating, one of the kind of 
fathers of at least resurfacing contemplation back from 1313, bringing it into the modern era, talks about this idea of imagining yourself sitting at the bank of a slow-moving river when thoughts come in your mind, just observing them and letting them pass by, slowing yourself down and trusting that that is the prayer. It's not ego-driven. It's not God do this now or please do this. It's just being present. Actually, one of Thomas Keating's other quotes is, look, if you sit yourself down for 20 minutes a day and just clear your mind and be present with God, the Spirit is going to work. I can't get to 20 minutes a day. I can't barely even get to five, but, um, but I think there's something to that. Slowing down, calming our minds, breathing, being present, allowing Christ to connect with your innermost self, the part of you that is hidden away in Jesus. Then, then it moves to viewing, to taking a long, loving look at the real. Did that move up? Yeah. To taking a long, loving look at the real. Sort of baby steps. We begin to look, we begin to look at the world around us non-judgmentally, just with a long, loving look. Image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. This could include a single thought. It could include a word of scripture. It could include some other, other practices that we'll talk about in a second. Andy Crouch writes, I had recently been thinking about one of the most striking ways in which the Hebrew scriptures describe human beings as made in the image of God, male and female, all part of the human family. It was radical when it was first written down in Genesis, and it is still challenging today. I admit that phrase, divine DNA, is a challenging phrase. I didn't come up with it, by the way. It is an idea worth pondering. And it occurred occurred to me that I could attempt a, a kind of ambulatory act of contemplation. So as I walked through the airport, he's talking about the St. Louis airport, as I walked through the airport, I would attempt to take note of each person as I passed. I would stare at them and pay as much attention as I could without appearing to be an airport stalker. And I would say to myself as I saw each one, image bearer, image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. And he goes on to describe that process and the overwhelming emotions that, that overcame him as he walked through the airport going, image bearer, image bearer a long, loving look at the kingdom of God that is amongst us, as in Luke. How how might our true source of life and light connect to the true source of light? How might that transform us over the long arc? The outcome of of contemplation is not up to us, much like the outcome of our prayer life, the outcome of our whole Christian walk. This will not give you superpowers. This will not give you enlightenment. This will not give you some prophetic gift. The long arc, we trust that the long arc of our lives is that we will be transformed through the dwelling and the connected presence uh, of Christ. I think that our work is abiding. Abiding is the core outcome of the contemplative life. I think I need more abiding in my life. So, why is this... Um, so needed today. We're going to jump into uh, some practices in a, sen- in a quick moment. Uh, I'll give two ideas, two kind of thoughts as to why this is so needed today. In fact, I, I jumped to that slide too fast, but you can read it in advance. The first, um, I would suggest, is that so much of our spiritual 
training, so much of our spiritual training that's happening right now in current evangelical traditions is dealing on the intellectual level. And that's all well and good. It's dealing on that busying mind uh, level. Except one of the challenges, of course, with that is that's left up to then your ego to decide what transforms you, what gets in, and what doesn't. Uh, not to mention the fact that so much of our lives is driven by our unconsciousness, 95%, 90% of our life is driven by our unconsciousness, so it's kind of in one ear and out the door. Confirmation bias says that by the time I've spoken the first 10 words this Sunday morning, you've decided whether you're going to listen to me or not. So it's a real challenge when so much of our training happens on that intellectual level, and so much of our prayers happen on that intellectual, word-driven level. The second challenge, of course, with our current traditions is this saves us from, or, or second reason why the contemplative approach is so needed today is it saves us from the busyness and barriers of our intellectual minds, our spiritual, and the busyness of our spiritual lives, and the busyness of our churches, to quote Eugene Pearson. Uh, I think there is a reason why, uh, oh, busyness of our, and the busyness of our world. I think there is a reason why the early mystics used to pray constantly for humiliation because it would lower us and it would help us prevent us from thinking too highly of ourselves. Um, this is a great quote from Eugene Peterson who has a book on the contemplative pastor. Uh, Rich Viola, also a pastor in Brooklyn who has an interesting tie into the sermon that I kind of just, just before this talk uh, got a note, uh, not him to me, but Nonetheless, uh, discipleship needs an em emphasis on contemplation for the thoughtlessness that pervades our land, a commitment to humility that lowers our defenses, and a spirit-generated ability to be a calm presence in an anxious world. Oh, that not quick over? No, it didn't. It's here on my... Interesting. Anyways, that's the quote. Um, it's a reaction. Oh, my now slide is... There we go. Uh, it's a reaction to the blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for you. I mean, I could run a whole sermon and I think on, on the, the desperate need for contemplation uh, in our churches and in our lives. I think Jesus had some pretty, was pretty powerfully motivated by why he wanted to long to connect to that innermost self, the part of us that is hidden away in Christ. And he talks about how unless a single grain of wheat dies, falls to the ground and dies, it remains and only, uh, only a single seed. A branch cut off from the vine is useless. You might as well throw it in the fire. Or perhaps one of the most scariest things that Jesus says is in the, the times that at the end, people will come and say, I prophesied in your names. I, I taught in your names. I healed in your names. And he says, I didn't know you. I think Jesus wants to know our innermost selves. I think one of Jesus' love languages, one of God's love languages is time. And I think contemplation helps us do it. When Jesus' first call, as I said at the top, was his first call was to be with him. So could we start and lay exposed to God, trusting that he knows our heart? And what would it look like if prayer was a matter of connecting our true self, our innermost self to the vine, trusting that God could see our heart? We may never get to be, you know, people who regularly see powerful work of the Spirit firsthand, see the dead raised, although I, I really hope that we are. Um, we, we may never 
get to see visions and dreams and audible words of prayer or, you know, of, of the Spirit spoken over to one and us, although I hope that we are, um, and I hope that we are all of us. But I do know that you have an innermost self that is deeply formed by Christ, that is loved by Christ, that has held all of these highs and lows, joys and sorrows. And I know that Christ wants to meet you as you clear the deck, that you stay present to that holy now and you allow yourself to be deeply known and take a long, loving look at the Father and then from that, a long, loving look at the world around us. We're going to take a practice. We're going to do a practice in this uh, in a moment after Peter leads us in a song. Um, so we're just going to start with a really simple um, contemplative exercise. Um, it's called Centering Prayer. And uh, there's actually a really great app um, that I, uh, I use and, and really rely on a lot. And I'm now fumbling up on the, the thing here. Presentation went off air. Fantastic. Uh, there's an app that I use called the Centering Prayer app. And um, it's, it's been a huge... Um, blessing to me because uh, on days, on pretty much every day when, when I uh, just want to be able to enter into a contemplative mindset, um, that's, that's kind of the tool that I get to use that I find helpful. Um, and so the principle really is, is you sit comfortably, rule number one. There's a great website by, with, by the centering, the folks at Centering Prayer who kind of guide you through this and can explain it much better. But sit comfortably is their first rule. Um, allocate uh, whatever length of time you can afford, three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever that is. Uh, open with a word of scripture. Choose a word to invite God's presence. That could just be Yahweh. could be God. could be welcome. You're welcome here. Uh, I read that scripture. Um, so because I'm having problems here on the screen, um, I don't know if you can tell, but it's not displaying for me. Um, if you could just put up that psalm, uh, I think it's Psalm 46, that slide. Um, and then um, the goal here is, is to, to, to actually try to, um, to clear our minds. And, and here's the thing. So much of our prayer lives is for us, is us thinking, us, us entering into prayer. God, please, which is great and totally has a role, and I'm not at all suggesting that does it. The goal in this, this style of prayer is actually almost the opposite. It's, it's not the opposite, but it's, it's just us allowing our hearts to be still before God and allowing God to connect with our hearts. So um, we're going to read that together just in your, your own mind. And then when thoughts come into your mind, you can just kind of let them pass like boats on a river and just sit in stillness, focusing on, on your breath, knowing that God is in your breath. Uh, and we're going to do that for three minutes. And the goal again, yeah, is just to sit and be still with God. final exercise. Um, for, for those of you who haven't necessarily sat and, and tried to, to calm your mind or, or, or not pray with, with words, I know that that can be challenging. I barely some days can make it past three minutes or, or at all any minutes uh, without my mind taking over, without you know, just thinking about my day or, or what's, what's coming up or all of these things. And uh, the Desert Fathers, really since 1313, um, since Christianity became, you know, uh, the religion of the state, people have been trying to, to figure out ways to, to, to connect to God um, in, in, in authentic ways, in ways that they could kind of 
in some ways pour out their, their innermost self to their creator. I mean, people have been trying to do that since the beginning of time, I guess you could say. Um, but I just, I guess, wanted to kind of contextualize this. This is, not, this is not new material here. This is, in some ways, the oldest of Christian practices. Um, speaking of which, we're going to do one more of probably one of the oldest of Christian contemplative practices. If you could put up the next slide. Um, this is called Lectio Divina. And um, the idea here is, is to read Scripture not from an analytical perspective or from a, yeah, from a head perspective, but to kind of internalize it a couple times through re repetition. Um, so if it's uh, coming up there. We've got some issues with the TV at the back here, so I can't tell necessarily. But, uh, Psalm 23. Thanks so much. It's in small writing. Sorry, didn't realize that. Uh, you can pull out your Bibles or your apps. That's an awful thing to say out loud. Um, but <laughs> you can pull out your Bibles, however you choose to read them, um, and, and do that if this is too small for you. Uh, I'm actually going to read it out loud as well. So the idea here is we're going to read this out loud um, a couple times. My encouragement to you um, is to just sit with it. Um, repetition is one of these ways in which it can kind of get past the busying mind, get past all of the, the things that we are ruminating on, thinking about the lunch that we're going to have, um, and, and kind of get at a deeper level. Maybe uh, there's a word or two or phrase that, that stands out. Take that time to just kind of meditate on that, think about it, uh, or meditate on it. And, and if you'd like, respond to God. Say thank you, or say I don't get it to say, why isn't that true in my life? Whatever emotion comes up, put it back to God um, and just sit with that. So let me read that out loud uh, a couple of times. Um, actually, and I'm going to, according to the practice, invite you to join in with me because there is also something about verbalizing it out loud. So join with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to read it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 